As a mother, wife, and divorce attorney for over 15 years, experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty, transition, and facing opportunities for growth. I'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey. Parenting teenagers is tough work. I think we can all agree that teenagers are facing a plethora of issues today that are more profound and in some ways troubling than ever before. If you have a teenager in your home or you're planning to have a teenager at some point, you're not going to want to miss our session today. My guest is Dr. Dean Beckloff. Dr. Beckloff is the founder of Beckloff Behavioral Health Center located here in uh, Dallas, Texas. He is frequently called upon as an expert to help families who are in the middle of a divorce or dealing with post-divorce issues, but he also helps families deal with a wide array of issues when it comes to parenting young children and teenagers. It is an absolute privilege to welcome him to the show. Thank you, Dr. Beckloff. Sure thing. I'm glad to be here. So I want to start off talking about some of the issues that teenagers mm -hmm. are facing today. What issues are you seeing in your practice? Well, there's a lot of issues that are coming forward these days. Now, obviously, the pandemic has had its own toll on families and teenagers. I mean, I, it's a mixed bag because I've had many parents tell me that the pandemic caused them to be able to be together more. And being together and rubbing shoulders has been helpful. But there's also the flip side of that, which is, too much of a good thing <laughs> and I need a break. Uh, fortunately, I think most of the kids are back at school now and that has been very helpful. Uh, I think not only for their education, but for everyone concerned, but it, it brought some benefits in some incredible ways that I've had many parents uh, testify to me about. <laughs> um, but it's a mixed bag. You know, teenagers are still the same. They haven't changed the developmental issues that are going on inside of a teenager are still happening but we live in a different world and the world that we live in is i guess you could characterize it with the word electronics yeah well, certainly i know electronics are a big issue in our home um but i want to back up for a second because you just said something in terms of the developmental issues what really is happening i mean i I can certainly reflect on my own teenage years and the changes that were happening. Um, and now that I'm much wiser, I look back on it and, you know, have a different perspective. But, you know, at a very, you know, kind of basic level, what do we see happening with regards to that phase of development, human development? Well, there is a really good book that I would highly recommend by a psychologist here in Dallas named Dr. Ken Wilgus, who wrote a book on parenting teenagers. And I believe the title is uh, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. <laughs> and, but one of his theses in there is so relevant, which is the cry of the teenage heart is emancipation. The cry of the teenage heart is emancipation. And from 13 to 18, we are little by little opening up the doorway to freedom. That's what they want. And how do you do it in today's world? It's complicated, but it must be done or there will be friction between parent and child. Is it possible to go through the teenage years without friction? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had, I have two girls 
and uh, they're well past teenage years now. But no, I don't think so. But the the thing that is so interesting is that if parents will, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. There's another okay. book. It's out of print now. But the thesis from that author was that parents come into the teenage years and suddenly things are different. Yeah. Things are changing. And it creates stress on the parent, which means they get to grow. The parent gets to grow and develop too as these teenagers are coming into teenage years. Isn't that incredible? That is such a good point. And I think it is, um, you know, to focus on the opportunity for growth, but nobody told me that, but I remember one of the, the, the points of great friction <laughs> with my teenager, who's now 21, um, and I have other teenagers in the house, so I'm still dealing with teenage issues. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, he, he challenged and pushed back on some things that were very black and white issues for me. Um, and I really had to step back and think about it. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I learned from that was um, shame, was something that had been used, I think, for generations. I'm not yeah. the only one whose you know, parents would use the look of shame if you dare disappoint them. Right. And my son literally looked at me and said, shame isn't going to work. Don't <laughs> shame me. And I, I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm not going to shame you. How do I, how do I parent? And it made me really have to step back and look at a lot of stuff. So that's such a good point. Yes. It, it, they, they spur us to grow and it's a challenging world. Like you brought up. I mean, the world of electronics has just opened up some good things, of course. Yeah. But it's opened up uh, a nightmare too, with the kinds of bullying that goes on now online and it's disturbing. And of course, we hear about teenagers committing suicide over it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, these can really be life and death issues. And unfortunately, there, I mean, I know there are some textbooks coming out now, but this is such a new issue. We really don't, we don't have the old ways of doing things as we confront these issues today. I mean, my telephone was on the wall. Right. <laughs> One telephone with a long cord, you know, maybe you could get it to stretch maybe. in your bedroom. And your brother, well, little brother is probably listening on the other end. So that's what happened in my house. <laughs> there was no privacy. No, there wasn't. And now teenagers have all kinds of privacy. And of course, many parents are trying to keep up with it. And technology is coming around to help parents with that. But it still can be quite frightening, I think, for a lot of parents. I think, you know, especially when they're little, we just want to wrap our kids up in bubble wrap and protect them. And one of the big changes I noticed as a parent was when I headed into the teenage years is that that doesn't work. I mean, I don't get to wrap my children up in bubble wrap, right? Right. And you have to remember that word, emancipation. Mm. Every step along the way, part of the cry is emancipation. Uh, don't tell me I can't go to the, the mall with my friends and you're like, Mm, is there going to be a grown-up there? <laughs> <laughs> well, and don't tell me who my friends are going to be, right? right? And don't tell me, you know, who I can talk to and who I can't talk to. That pushback, right. that friction. Um, go ahead. Well, and I was just going to say, you know, a long time ago I heard frustration is unmet expectations. And so I think, you know, one of the things we can do as we go into the teenage years is to adjust our expectations and know that that friction is a normal, healthy part of development. And there is going to be fear with the parent. Um, I think we worry because these are young kids still. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, they're needy teenagers and they need a lot. And yet they think they can go out there and conquer the world and who cares? And there's not going to be any danger. And yes, I'm going to deep Ellum right. <laughs> with my friends. And you're like, well, <laughs> I just read about the robbery. So that fearlessness, of course, the parent were, you know, all we see is fear um, and all the danger associated with everything that they are doing. And of course, the, they have no fear at all. And it seems like a real loss of common sense is a common um, denominator. How what what are some healthy ways for parents to begin to bridge that gap with the fearless teenager on the one hand versus, you know, the fear? over the real dangers that are out there. Well, I wish that there were three steps that could solve <laughs> it all, but you know, we have to go back to a concept that is extremely important for teenagers and it's important for young kids as well. And it's important for spouses and all relationships. But there's a saying that says most people listen to respond rather than listen to understand. And that is just key when you're talking to your teenager to listen to understand. Um, so there has to be communication. And mm, that's hard. That's it's <laughs> hard when what they're wanting to do is go to Deep Ellum and you're not so sure that's a wise decision. But somehow there's got to be a sitting down and inviting them to participate in a, in a way that they can give their own ideas and what they think they can do to be kept safe in all the situations that are going to be coming up. So I want to talk practically speaking about how to communicate with a teenager because I'm sure that the conversations that are happening in, in the car, because <laughs> that's where most of them happen, right? Um, in my car, are similar to everybody else, which is, so sweetie, how was your day? Fine. <laughs> did you get, did you get all your homework done? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything interesting happen? No. No. <laughs> so how do we get out of that uh, that and have some real meaningful conversations okay. with our teenagers? There, you have to be creative. And this is the stress on the parent that creates growth in the parent. You know, we are going to have to really see them as individuals becoming emancipated. And how do we also express that to them. That's number one. Number two, uh, we have to find maybe unique ways to get into that conversation. Uh, there was a time, my oldest daughter, who maybe at some point might listen to this, so I apologize, Jules, but uh, <laughs> when she was about 16, it felt like we were not connecting. We were not having those conversations. I figured it out. Olive Garden. <laughs> Olive Garden, she liked the salad and the breadsticks. So I would take her to lunch or dinner and I'd just sit there. And then after a bit, she'd start talking and talking and talking about her friends and talking about, and I listened. I was listening to understand, not listening to give her an answer. Uh. And then more and more came and that really developed our communication now personally this is no slant on olive garden i'm sorry but 
They don't give enough olives in the in the salad, and it's a garden. What's going on What's there? What's up with that? Well, I think that's really insightful. It makes me think of a couple of, of things. You know, um, one was that I really I had to learn that connection with my child was more important than being right. And so there are times when I had to just suspend judgment and suspend my own opining over what it is they're sharing and just value the fact that they're sharing and not try and tell them they're right or they're wrong or what they need to do or give advice. And it's really hard as a parent to not be giving advice. Yeah, and our advice is important because I have found, you know, I'm sorry, but there are times when you have to give it. Right. And there are times when you have to say no, this isn't going to happen. We are going to do it this way. And there will be pushback and fighting and wailing and gnashing of teeth <laughs> and anger. But what I found was if that relationship is good and you've been working on really listening to understand that they do it. It's yeah. so weird. I've seen them really push back, but they end up doing it on down. So that was wonderful to see. One of the things I learned from Dr. Willigus, I'm so glad you brought him up because he oh, is do you a know Dr. great, Willis? I do. I got to um, attend a parenting class with him, but I remember getting the idea from him that our kids really do want to connect with us, which was sort of a foreign thing. I thought they just wanted to close the room to the door, not have anything to do, but there, there still is a yearning for that connection. It's just, you know, how we show up to invite connection. Well, and that brings up uh, an example of a parent that I just had. And this is this is not the way to do it, but dad's a worker. He's in, he's worked at home. He had arranged with his son to go out to dinner and they were gonna, just gonna have some time together. And so son is waiting, waiting, waits an hour, waits an hour and a half. Dad keeps saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm getting off, I'm getting off. After an hour and a half, the teenager was done. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so, if you are going to make an appointment with your teen to do something, be there. Mm -hmm. Show up. Don't let work take over. And then don't excuse it either. I think the next thing is okay, I'm sorry that was wrong. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. Don't defend. Don't say, well, you just don't know what it's like to be trying to put food on the table for the fan. You know, right, and, all, and those, the all of that. No, no, they yeah. can't understand that. They yeah. don't understand it. Uh, and so you just apologize, be upfront, validate what they've experienced. Apologies. So that's it raises an interesting point. Um, I I would presume that it is good for children to see us apologize. Um, what kind of advice or tips that were? What have you seen work around that uh, apologizing with your teenager? I think for the teenagers that I've seen and worked with, number one, they really find it challenging when the parent does not acknowledge and validate what they've experienced. Uh, had a, uh, a parent in just recently and daughter kept saying something, but he wasn't hearing it. Mm. He kept talking about how that affected him instead of how it affected her. And that's going to be the key. What is this kid experiencing or what have they experienced? And then can I be in tune with that with words? 
that helps a lot. And that goes along with an apology to acknowledge what they've experienced and then to just simply say, I'm sorry. Uh, Obviously, I mean, when parents come in and tell me that their child cannot take responsibility, I'm wondering, are you demonstrating taking responsibility? Because nobody's perfect. Our kids know when we've blown it. They know it. So it's okay for us to talk about that. I mean, I, I think there's kind of this old idea, and maybe this is sort of the shame uh-huh. paradigm of, right. you know, like I, like my children should never see that I'm weak or human or make mistakes that because they need to, you know, respect me. They need to see me as, uh, you know, all knowing. And, um, and that can be a really unhealthy dynamic. Absolutely. And it takes away from what is most important, and that is the relationship. When you are doing some of the things we've talked about today, you are ensuring not only relationship now with your teenager, but the relationship when they're 20 and 25 <laughs> and 30, because those kids need us at every stage of development. Mine are in their 30s. Now, they may not acknowledge that they need me, but they do want me. They want me in their life. And we don't want that to ever stop because they need the relationship. So I know in my home um, that it's easy for everybody to go to their separate rooms. They close the doors. Everybody's on their devices. I get it. It's quiet in the house. You know, I can focus on whatever I'm doing. And so it's easy to kind of let that happen. What, how dangerous is that? What are, um, you know, what do we need to keep in mind with regards to our kids? It's realistic in turn, you know, cause I don't, I don't want every single moment of my day to be a power struggle over the dang right. device. Right. So, right. so how do we allow for that, that freedom and that emancipation as we inch ever closer to that? That is a super hard one. (laughs) But again, I would just suggest that we pull everyone together and have a conversation about it. Um, I think sometimes because we get so much pushback from our teens and so much no, and no, that's crazy and whatever they say, that we don't think that they will pay attention to us. But I think it's important to bring them together and invite them to actively participate. And how are we going to have our family? And, and, and what about alone time and downtime and in your room time and on the electronics? And what about together time? And, uh, you know, really open up that. Now, sometimes and this may be getting into another area, but sometimes there just may be some other issues and problems going on with a teen that may need somebody else's help. Are you seeing an, an impact? I, mean, I, I kind of read about some of these trends where kids are actually having a hard time you know, physically, socially interacting with each other in part because of the pandemic, but also in part because all this communication is on social media and they're not actually face to face. Are you seeing that? Oh yeah. And it's been interesting with the lady who blew the whistle, the whistleblower for Facebook, who (laughs) said that the evidence is clear. These kids are getting depressed. Uh, They're getting worse. And that's kind of scary to hear that, I think, as a parent. Um, And so there's got to be some balance. 
um, can't they just make a law <laughs> to help the parents out? <laughs> right. <laughs> Kids can only be on Facebook for three minutes. <laughs> of course, they don't do Facebook. No, yeah. they don't do Facebook, yeah. right? Yeah. Snapchat or Instagram. <laughs> or I'm sure all that's all old now, too. By the, yes. time, by the time I kind of catch on to what's going on, it's Honey, all it's the law. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, I, just talking about, you know, as we kind of observe our kids and and all the mental health issues that are present. I mean, you mentioned suicide um, and depression. What are some signs that our children maybe are in a little deeper than we know, that some signs that they need some professional help? Well, obviously one of them is when a parent has tried and tried and tried to get in touch with a teen and they're only met with hostility. We got a problem. Okay. We got a problem. But beyond that, of course, parents know their children. They know their kids. Be willing to act on your deep knowledge of your child. You know, you can tell when there's depression. You can tell when there's anxiety. It's all over their face. Um, some of the social issues are so abhorrent and hard for teenagers these days. It's just difficult and trying to help them through that when it is painful and I've been there with some pretty painful stuff with our kids and uh, walking them through it but then maybe getting another ear another voice somebody else to participate with that obvious things like grades are failing that's yeah. a big big one uh, but there's all kinds of signals that we get and i think you you do need to trust your gut we know our kids it's, it can be challenging though because they are changing during the teenage years right, right. so they are suddenly sleeping a lot more and you look at signs <laughs> of depression and it's sleeping all the time and you're like and they're sleeping this, all the time <laughs> is this normal sleeping or is this you know depression yeah sleeping? and uh i would say maybe air on the side of Maybe getting help. If you've got your radar up, go get somebody else to kind of begin looking at it with you, maybe. Uh, if not necessarily, it's hard to drag a teenager to counseling if they don't want to go. <laughs> I mean, so I, that I, I kind of want to shift and talk about um, the teenagers experience in therapy. You know, how much buy-in do they need to have when they come to see a therapist? And then what should a parent expect their role to be in supporting their child in therapy? Mm -hmm. Well, my guess is that probably no teen, no teenager will say, yes, I'd love to go. Now we do have some. Yeah. We have some teenagers who say, yes, I need, I need to talk to somebody, mom. Dad, I need to talk to somebody. They will do that. There are those who do. Those are easy to get in the door, but then when it's the parent feeling like there's a problem, you know, no teenager wants to admit that their parent might be right. <laughs> <laughs> and so they come with their heels dug in. But I would say any therapist who likes working with teens, it means that they like teenagers. And ultimately, teenagers are needy kids who need attention and that gets fed and then they have the stimulation of another brain let me tell you one thing that i've theorized about 
that I think it could be part of the deal with suicide in teenage years and suicide in college years is that the brain is growing at an amazing rate starting well the, the brain's been growing since they were first conceived right but then in teenage years and then in the college years is an amazing amount of growth going on so that teen is wrestling with a brain that's growing so much so that is another part of the picture we just have to be aware and then have compassion on what they are dealing with and going through so when um when a child goes to see the therapist i know a lot of parents uh, myself included can feel a little worried that you know the parent's going to be thrown under the bus that the child's going to go in and share all the secrets of the family um, and i say that because we all have secrets mm -hmm, <laughs> right mm -hmm. yeah um and so you know there's just this this worry that the the teenager somehow the parent's going to be defensive and maybe feel like they need to have an opportunity to come you know share their perspective with the therapist what is how do you balance all of that and what is an appropriate role for a parent to play um in interacting with the child's therapist well number one i think honor the child's child teens confidentiality honor that what's being said in the room with the therapist is for them and respect that confidentiality if i can put it that way uh, now ultimately you're the parents so you have the right to know but at least in our practice we try to involve the entire family anyway we're going to be meeting with the parent we're going to be talking with the parent we're going to be listening to their fears we're going to acknowledge some of the troubles and problems that have been going on so um you know i i think that would be really important that a therapist is listening to the parent as well and then any good therapist i mean i used to be a teacher <laughs> And I'd have kids raise their hand and tell all kinds of family secrets in front of the class. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if you, you know, have kids, there are no secrets. <laughs> they are all going to be told and let like, out of the bag anyway. Okay, let's move on now. Uh, anybody else, Johnny? Um, so, yes, things are going to be stated from their perspective. The, the troubles with dad, the troubles with mom. Obviously, a therapist, it's probably in their best interest to also talk to parents to find out their perspective about some of the issues. But ultimately, I think it's very important to honor and respect that child, the, the teenager, their uh, conversations with the therapist, and even let the, the teenager know that you're not going to pry. Yeah. And it's hard to do, um, but I think it's so important because what I've seen is how important that trust is. That if the teenager feels like they can trust the therapist, they're going to be much more forthcoming right. and really, you know, get share information that enables the therapist to help. Yes. The other thing I think is important for people to remember is that the therapist is not the judge. This is not the fact finder. And so you're not arguing your case. The therapist is a treating professional who's there to help listen to information and maybe reframe or help do the therapy thing. Right? Oh, you're good, Jennifer. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we're not there to judge. Uh, we're not fact, fact finding. We're not detectives. Yeah. We're not in the police department. <laughs> we are trying to hear them and listen and then nudge in positive ways 
Because I think most of us who work with teenagers know that it's critical that that, that teenager have a relationship with the parent. And how do we help them to do that as they are also moving towards emancipation? Right. Now, you are from time to time called to testify in cases. Uh, you work with families who are going through divorce or going through complicated custody issues. Um, and so, you know, when you're um, when you're called to testify, how do you how do you approach that with the parents, with the court and with the child? Um, it's very difficult. <laughs> and I think I approach it uniquely with every case. Yeah. About, you know, all of those confidentiality issues. Um, bottom line, if I'm ordered by a judge to testify, then I testify, of course, and speak the truth as strongly as I can. There are complications, though, especially when I feel like there's been abuse and a parent has a right to notes. But I'm in a case right now where I'm refusing to let those go because I think they could be misused. So uh, there's there's a multitude of things that we have to consider. And so we also have to get our own uh, legal help. <laughs> <laughs> but a therapist can be an important voice for the child, even if you're not uh, called yes. in to testify, but just in even sharing information with lawyers in terms of, you know, what the children are reporting, whether whether that's accurate or not accurate, again, not your not your job, right? Right, right. And I agree. Yes. Well, and and in cases of abuse, it's not our job to be the detective. It's our duty to inform the, mm -hmm. the authorities that are supposed to do that and let them make that uh, investigation happen. So I want to switch a little bit now and talk about teenagers in the middle of a divorce. Um, and have you, you know, what do you think makes for a healthy divorce, a healthy transition for teenagers? And the flip side is where does, where do we go wrong? Yeah. Um, well, I'm divorced uh, I'm divorced from my children's mother. And uh, it was, you know, it, it's really hard because the parent is going through their own grief and struggle about something that's falling apart that they never dreamed would. And at the same time, they're obviously trying to take care of their kids. And that's just going to be the heart of a parent. How do I help my kids through this? And it was really good for me that I had kids because nope, I can't stay in a fetal position on, on the bed. I need to get <laughs> up and I've got to put food on the table and I've got to make sure they're getting to school and getting their homework done. You know, that was really good for me. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's very complicated, but I would say most kids, whether they're 4 or 14 or 17, they want their parents to be nice to each other. I mean, if they can't, most kids want their parents under the same roof. If they can't have that, at least be kind to each other, especially when the child is there. And you know, there's a lot of kids that are not living that. And it is such a disastrous thing for the kid, in my opinion. Um, I'll tell you one thing too, teenagers, they probably know. <laughs> I just had a family come in and I talked to the teenagers and they said, we knew, yeah. we knew. Parents were worried. What are we going to do? How do we tell them? The kids knew. They knew. They <laughs> had already figured sponges. it out. <laughs> and they knew from things that the parents had said. They put two and two together. So you're not going to really be 
pulling in anything that is a big surprise to the teenager. They probably know it. It will be a relief to hear it. And they need to know that. I, one common thing that I hear, and um, maybe you do too, is that, you know, especially if there's been something like adultery or um, other issues in the marriage that are the adult issues, that parents can sometimes feel like, you know, our children should know the, the reason we're getting a divorce. They deserve to know the truth. What impact does sharing that kind of information with children have? That's terrible. I I don't agree with that at all. I I no, we don't tell our kids everything. We don't tell them that they were conceived in the back of the car. We don't tell them everything. <laughs> There's just it's just not gonna happen. And so do they need to hear disturbing information about their other parent? No. In fact, I think that should be part of what is said. We are going to honor and respect your parent and you will not hear negative things about us. I think that there is always adult business and kid business. The reasons why I'm divorced from my children's mother, I've never told them anything about that. And I probably never will, even though they're adults. And I don't think that their mother has told them either. Uh, there's a respect for each other. And that's what we're trying to always have with our kids about their parent, that there is a deep respect for them and, and that's hard when you have so much conflict at times. Now, sometimes, you know, if the kids have been witness to things. They've obviously have seen a lot. Um, for, and I'll just think, for example, you know, when we're dealing with addiction issues. So the parents have been struggling with alcoholism. It's probably played itself out in the home and the kids are very aware. How do we, how do we help our children gain kind of a perspective around those types of issues? That's a hard one because there is the elephant in the room. Yeah. that everyone knows about and we're tiptoeing around us. Sometimes some things have to be said. I think I would get in probably with a therapist who is in the know and discuss what do we need to tell them and how much and how do we do that in a way that doesn't crucify the other parent. Yeah. Uh, but how, how can we do this? Get some help. Uh, put heads together. I'm a big believer in putting heads together. Uh, surely we may not come up with the right answer, but we'll just keep working at it until we get there. I remember my daughter, <laughs> when she was young, she was, uh, we were talking about getting a divorce or the divorce had happened. And she said, well, dad, y'all fought all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe not all the time. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. There you go. That, that perspective that they have. And um, I would think, you know, working with a, with a therapist who can help kind of put some common language around maybe. So at least there's a game plan um, right. in having that conversation. Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, I have seen is when, when information is overshared, um, and you know, I get why parents do it. You know, I, I mean, I do, and I, I think I think if they really peel it back, they'll see it's really about kind of protecting themselves in the eyes of their children. But destroy doing anything to destroy the relationship with the other parent can have repercussions that just go on for years and generations. Sadly, the repercussions are on the child, yeah. on the teenager. Um, we must do everything in our power to assist the kid, the teenager, to have a relationship with both parents. Um, we know from research now 
it, it has devastating effects on the kid forever. Yeah. So we want to help them. It's hard. The issues are complex, as you well know. And it's very, very hard. Get other brains into it. You guys, uh, attorneys, <laughs> are fantastic, especially you guys that work in family law, because you are a therapist and you've, you've seen a lot and you are a wonderful guide to parents. I've seen that over and over again. I know. My, my hope for my clients is always that they have the best you know, the best next chapter, the best relationship with their children when the divorce is over, the best co-parenting relationship whenever that's possible. And obviously there are, you know, we, we can't make people behave according to the way we want them to behave. There are some circumstances that are simply out of our control. But in light of those circumstances, how do we how do we set everyone up to have the best outcome? Well, we're, we've been talking about some of the principles already, but if you just remember one little principle, guiding principle is be nice to the co-parent that the kids want that desperately. Uh, they don't want the conflict. Even my 17-year-olds do not want conflict between their two parents when they're coming to a basketball game or coming to a dance recital or whatever it is. They, they want the parents to be able to smile at each other and say hello and to be friendly. That one is just so critical. And yet, I hate to say it, that's so lacking right now in many of the, the folks that I'm working with. I was just going to say what, um, you know, how, how, how prevalent do you think it is <clears throat> that parents are able to do that? Because it takes, it does take a great deal of mm, self-actualization, kind of maturity to be able to set aside your own, you know, hurts and be able to show up for your kids. Right. But that's the, that's the key right there. It's for the kids. It's for the yeah. kids. And as long, you know, Parents are wonderfully sacrificial people. They will do anything for their kids. I've seen it over and over again for dads and for moms. They will just be there. So if they can get that one ingrained that I don't need to worry about the truth about the other person. We'll let my child deal with that and understand and even give grace. So uh, I'm going to do everything I can for their sake. Yeah. Yeah, those are good, wise words. Um, as we come to an end of our time together, what message of hope do you have for families who are you know, dealing with teenagers and in the midst of, of turmoil? So my kids, who are my kids, they're 30s. They're in the 30s, uh, 29 and 32, I believe. There's babies, uh, there's marriage. They both finished college. <laughs> There's so many fears that parents have. So many fears. And yes, there will be some struggles that you will be facing with your teen that doesn't, it just doesn't seem possible to overcome it. You will. You will. And by and large, what I've seen, not only in my own personal life, but also in the lives of many families that I've worked with, those teens have resources inwardly that will come to fruition. It's gonna happen. <laughs> you will see your values coming out in them in young adulthood, uh, and you'll be amazed, and you'll be so thankful for these kids. 
Uh, you have no idea the profound influence you have on your child. Believe in yourself and believe in what you are doing. It will have an effect, I promise. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time today. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Beckloff and his amazing team of professionals at the Beckloff Behavioral Health Center, uh, we'll include links to his information below. Thank you. <laughs>